When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, and space. We're going to talk about space today. How are you, Nick? I'm good. So the voice you're hearing, the disembodied voice, is my co-host, Nick Frank, uh, one of the owners of Frank Brothers Guitar Company. And my name is Aaron Goff. I'm the owner of Goff Custom Knives in Toronto, Canada. So what have you been up to, man? Uh, you know, it was kind of a, not a slow week, but just one of those weeks that just you know eased along so mm. it's kind of nice mm-hmm. kind of nice i mean we're only halfway through it but uh yeah you know it's been was it like you were trying to get stuff done and it wasn't really happening or it was just everything was pretty laid back no i actually feel that way more when when stuff when like we're doing production work mm. it's it's like the putting out fires and random stuff that happens that you know right is feels crazier so like when we're just doing production it's like ah this is nice (laughs) interesting so you're saying uh like so right i guess right now you're doing development work like what what's the opposite of production yeah production on opposite of production i guess would be yeah doing um well we are we are doing some development work with obviously with the with the hoss but we're kind of just sticking to that on the weekends right now just because we're a little backed up on production uh, and then there's just other random stuff that happens, like, you know, we had to replace our spray booth fan or, mm. um, getting new equipment. Like we got new dust collectors. We had them hooked up by the electrician this week, but that had nothing to do with me right. and just little things like that, or, you know, fixing a, a problem, fixing a mistake on a guitar or something like that, that needed to be like, or a guitar that needs to be started again, you know? Right. When it's just nice, smooth production, that's a good feeling. Mm, okay, fair enough. So you were doing production, but it was just smooth. Yeah. Yeah, nice. That makes sense. How about you? Um, What, late last week? Yeah, I was doing production as well. So I kind of do my production work late in the week and my development work early in the week. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I crashed through a bunch of uh, production work uh, late last week. Sent out a lot of knives to customers, which was awesome. Really nice. Um, yeah, and then this week I've been doubling down on doing the fixture design for my upcoming kitchen knife, which is exciting. oh, that's that's very cool. How are you approaching the the fixturing with that? Is it going to be very similar in a way to how you're doing the Resolute? No, not at all. Not in any mm-hmm. not in any way. Yeah. So the the Resolute, the way that I hold on to that is I, or basically I start with a rectangular blank. I machine some locating features on the inside, so pinholes. And then I use those pinholes to um, hold the knife while I machine one side of the profile at a time. So the spine and then the edge. And then once I have that profile kind of 2D shape, then I heat treat it. Mm-hmm. And then it comes back and gets held by its edges. So like the spine and the edge of the blade gets held while I machine the bevels. Um, and unfortunately, that really won't work for the kitchen knife because it's so wide and thin 
that if I try to put pressure between the edge and the spine of the knife, it's just going to bow like a spring. It's going to just like warp out of the way. Yeah, um, I remember you mentioning that last week, but yeah, I couldn't think of another way. Like, I guess I'm, you're sort of the only knife maker I've watched whole like machine a a knife like the way you're doing it. Right. Um, yeah. So, like, what I'm going to do instead is in a lot of ways, much simpler. Basically, I'm going to have a rectangle of steel. I'm going to heat treat it. Um, I'm going to bolt it down at the edges, um, machine all of the like two, the 3D features on one side, then flip it and machine all the 3D features on the other side, and then um, cut the profile, but leave some taps. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. The um, taps. And, yeah. And then the next... Um, the kind of the, the most complicated bit is that I actually will have a third station for a trimming operation. So basically I'll break break the tabs by hand um, and then I'll have a trimming station where it will actually, so I'm bolting it down in a way that I can get access to the full spine of the knife and the handle of the knife. And I'm going to come in with an end mill and completely trim all of the tabs and clean up the edges perfectly. Cool. I mean, it's kind of kind of similar how like to the way we're doing our guitar in a way oh yeah so i like, mean you've, you're sort of starting with a, a block leaving that block until the end yes yeah right so when you guys are machining up a, a guitar body what's what's the process like you do we well, tell me what the process yeah is. i mean we just we leave that final cutout of the guitar that right. makes it that shape right to the very end that's like the last step on the mm -hmm. on the cnc and how, how do you hold on to the guitar? Because, I mean, that means you have to machine all the way around the edge. Yeah, so you're removing shape. Yeah, you're removing the fixture. That was the fixture. Right, so how the do body. you hold on to the body while you're we, doing that? We used to use tabs, but mm. the problem was we would, we would trim those tabs off on a router table after. So we'd cut right. the frame away. Right. Uh, the, you know, we'd cut through those tabs on the bandsaw. But it always right. left um, a... Uh, a sign of of where the tab was, right. so something it about like a little like a witness mark. It, on, yeah, there was on the lead in and the lead out of the tab, right? Yeah, I mean, it it was a triangular shaped tab. We made them as small as we possibly could. Um, we experimented with a couple different tab shapes, but yeah, we we assumed it was like you know it's the wood grain acting differently from one router bit to, mm. to another, or like we were cutting it in a different way or applying different. Um, pressure there was the feeds and speeds were different because one was done on the cnc one was done on a router table right um i don't know if you could shed some light on on why we were getting a witness line left but um well was like the witness mark visible right off the cnc like would you so like let's say you haven't like trimmed the tabs off on your trim router and you've got the body and the tabs are still sticking out could you see like a little bump on either side of the tab on the on the body no Really? Just underneath. I mean, once you remove the tab, you've got that wood that was underneath the tab. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, we just couldn't figure out a good way to do it. We would have to sand the guitars quite a lot, and that throws things out of tolerance. Right. So uh, now what we do is we drill, before we cut the guitar out, we drill four three-eighth-inch holes, and then we just hammer in phenolic dowel pins, hmm. and then we've got four holes in the um our fixture plate our seat our you know and right. we we those fit into the four uh 
pinholes in the table or the holes right. in the table. And then when, when the guitar is cut out, it's just being held in sort of in midair. <laughs> oh, weird. By okay. the four pins. So there's like nothing holding the pins in place. It's just kind of just like, friction, just friction in the, I mean, the, the, the body is kind of bottomed out. Right. Uh, it's resting on a few different surf. Like it's not fully, um, floating. You know, yeah. It's not fully floating. It's resting on a few points right. on the table. So I can't go down any further. Um, right chatter i mean we're sanding this we would we would like a nicer edge finish um but we're not getting crazy chatter or anything the edge finish is pretty good uh and it works (laughs) to our surprise it worked and yeah i mean i guess if you're you're being really gentle with the the last couple of passes where you you break through then yeah um and the holes are just in where the, the pickups go Right. So you never see them again. We even, yeah. during the finishing process, we fill them with wooden dowels um, <laughs> that we make from the scrap body. Of course you do. <laughs> right. Why not? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I, so the problem that I have with my final trimming operation is that it's a hard milling process. So, you know, like you're talking about like a really thin section of steel that you have to cut and that steel is really, really hard. So. Oh, yeah. The blade yeah, wear. So, the, 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 the tool wear. Well, it's 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 tool wear and it's chatter, you know. So the 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 knife blade wants to move up as it's getting pulled up, you know, by the by the cutter, um, and yeah, that that causes issues. So basically, I altered the knife design a little bit to have two holes going through the handle underneath where the handle scales will go, um, so that I can use those to to bolt the blank down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have six toggle clamps along the length of the blade um, that come in from the the edge side of the blade um, because the the edge side of the blade it doesn't have to be perfect finish because I'm just going to sharpen it away anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, these toggle clamps kind of reach over the blade and clamp nearer to the spine um, where I'll be machining in order to like keep things settled down. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting process. Like this is the first time that I've actually like started choosing tooling and tool holders while I was building the fixtures. Um, you know, so like you were using just what you had. Yeah, pretty much. Or like, you know, trying to make something work, like being like, oh, that should give me enough clearance, you know? And this time I'm actually like, okay, I'm going to, I want to put a toggle clamp here. Like how much clearance does that give me? Okay. So I'll get this tool holder and try that. And then I'm actually like bringing the tool holders in from Marital, simulating them in Fusion 360 and checking my clearance as I'm making the the fixture. Oh yeah, that sounds like the way to do it. Yeah, and then so like I can leave like 50 thou of clearance between my toggle clamp and the and the cutting Ooh, tool, you know. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a little pucker inducing, but I you know, uh, honestly, like I just I can't get away with much, you know, because it's a hard milling process and because you just need that tool rigidity. Yeah, at the tool rigidity and the fixture rigidity, everything has to be really, you know, toit. So yeah, it's it's fun though. It, it's been um, a pretty smooth process overall. It's just I've been going a bit slow, trying to be thorough. You know, I wonder if it if um, it will uh, make you reconsider how you're doing the resolute. Yeah, so I would I would very much like to reconsider how I do my other knives because hanging on to the edge and the spine with that, that clamping action, it does work, but I had to make a bunch of like specialized um, 
clamp parts and stuff in order to make it work. And it's still like there are, there's the very final operation where you're cutting the second side of the bevel. The blade's already quite thin. Mm-hmm. So I actually have to have like two different um, types of fasteners in my pit bull clamps. And then one size of fastener, I only fasten by hand. Because if you if I use my normal like impact gun on that fastener, it actually distorts the blade. Oh, wow. Um, and so how, how much are you dialing it in by hand? Like, do you just know by feel or by look? I mean, just like as tight as I can by hand oh, with okay. like a regular driver. You know, right. like I can't, I just can't do it up that tight, tight enough to cause a problem. Um, whereas if I was just doing everything with tabs and so on the same way that I'm doing the kitchen knife, I think I'd be able to hold my tolerances in in Z a lot better than I can right now. Like right now it's it's fine because I've kind of worked out how to squint at it and like make it right. make it work properly. But like I think it'd be a lot less fussy if I was doing it the other way. True. Fingers crossed. We'll see. It could be worse. <laughs> I'll be interested to see. Are you gonna video this? Oh yes, yeah, for nice. sure. Um that trips me out when you when you like I can I can understand machining the one face because you have the flat reference surface still the one Mm -hmm. bevel and then flipping it over it's now referencing off of the other bevel right um it actually references off so it references in x and y off the pinhole off one of the pinholes going that hold the handle scales positionally right yeah and then vertically um it's actually referencing off the edge of the bevel so yeah it does reference off the edge um, oh, like but not the whole position. face of the bevel, the machine bevel. No. And my the original versions of my fixture, um, basically, I didn't like 3D machine the fixture to right. perfectly fit the bevel. Um, I probably should have, but I didn't. And it still does work. I do actually have um, two set screws that are underneath the bevel on the second side that I can tune up or down to dial the, the position of uh-huh. the blade. But it, it's fuzzy, right? Like if I'd just done a full three D machined thing, um, like I did on my most recent fixture, I'm not sure if I, you saw that video where I did like a a second generation fixture. I did the, the black one. Yeah, yeah. So that one, the the support underneath the second side of the bevel is fully three D machined, and that I think makes a lot more sense. Um, did you go over that in the video? Um, yeah, I, I showed it. I don't know if I like called it out explicitly, right. but. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's um it's gonna be fun, and I I've decided previously. So I have two CNC mills, uh, Millie and Vicky. Right. Um, and previously Millie, the idea with Millie was that I would keep uh, her separate and not do any production processes on that machine, um, to keep a, a machine free for doing R and D. But I think it's just limiting my my throughput too much. Um, and I haven't been using that machine enough for doing R and D, so I'm I'm actually going to dedicate that machine to doing the kitchen knife. Oh, cool! And is is Millie the op- like the one that's not enclosed? Yes, Millie's right. my older older machine. So you're not using flood coolant, right, or any type of no. coolant? No, no, I don't use. Well, I just use air blast, and that's it. Right, that's what. That's cool. I mean, we don't use flood coolant, obviously, but <laughs> <You> don't, <laughs> don't, don't get some flood machine. coolant in on the yeah. on the wood. <laughs> Um, maybe it would help. I don't know. Maybe would. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, 
So like flood coolant is really critical for machining aluminum because the aluminum will melt at the cutting edge and weld itself onto the tool. Oh, right. Um, that's not really a concern with steel and with like modern coatings like aluminum titanium nitride on like a carbon tool, uh, sorry, a carbide tool. Mm-hmm. Um, the coating kind of reflects most of the heat of the cut so that it stays in the chip and then the chip gets thrown away from the tool right and away from your your workpiece so you know it stays everything stays pretty cool and then if you add in an air blast like the air blast is mainly to make sure that the chips get away from the tool and don't end up getting recut um because like if you have a bunch of chips that are just getting recut then you'll tend to chip your your cutting tool much much more quickly right. um, and there's yeah, that cooling the well. tool as well it it is yeah i mean in my case i have the the air blast set up so that it's blowing chips away but it's also cutting it's also cooling the wood piece and cooling the tool right you don't want to touch those during the cut to make sure they're not hot (laughs) no that that's always messy when you do that (laughs) but i mean like i can i can pull a blade out of the machine like you know seconds after it's finished machining and it's totally cold oh cool um yeah, like during the process, if the if I let the tools get too dull, then you can get some heat. Right. But it's still very little. It was wild to me that a coating that thin, however thin it is, does anything. A couple of microns. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can just use uncoated carbide to cut steel dry as well, but it just doesn't work quite as well. Hmm. Well, cool that's stuff. rad. Yeah. Yeah, right. I'm going to go ahead and change uh, our show notes back from Comic Sans. That's <laughs> yeah. driving me nuts. Is it? So, Nick, I, I put a little note in our show notes saying, like, I see you, and then a, an emoticon, and he said, I hope you like Comic Sans, and he changed everything to Comic Sans. It was, well, it yeah, was, you know, it's making me buff. It's nice. Now. It's nice. It's nice. It uh-huh. was, you know, it was making, it was cheering me up, but I've had enough. You've had enough comic for the day. Yeah. So, look, I know everyone's going to be wondering, what? Ha- how's the horse going? How, did you did you crash it yet? What's the, what's the deal? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. We yeah. have no crashes. We've only really, we've, like, again, we've, we're, we're kind of backed up on production. So, right. it's, a, it's a chicken and egg thing. But um, we are doing the, uh, we're, we're making our fixturing this weekend. Okay. So, now, Mark's I'm curious, when in, you say you're, sorry. And we're, we've got, we think we have everything we need. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. When you say you're backed up on production, are you backed up because you've got too many orders or because production hasn't been going smoothly? Um, more uh, a backlog of orders. Oh, that's great, though. That's a good problem to have. It is. Uh, you know, as, uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's, we want to deliver, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's a bit stressful when you 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 know you give people a, a an estimated completion date, and that's drawing close or you're past it, and you're like, yes. Plus, the other thing we do, which is really challenging to keep up with, is we give customers photo updates, mm. which people really love, but it's it's hard to find the time to bust out the camera and snap a couple pics and then upload them go through everyone all you know the whole sd card and and pull photos for each customer it's really something we want to continue to do because we have a long lead time right now our lead time is like six months so it's a long time to wait without anything right um for an expensive object but uh so i mean this sounds like a perfect opportunity to do something um 
you know, like this is why I love software development. So like, you, you know, that I was a, a software engineer in my, my last job, my last real job, mm-hmm. you know? So if I was facing that challenge, I'd probably like throw together a little web app that you could like, you know, pick from your open orders, click on the open order on your phone and then take a photo of whatever's happening on your phone. And it would just update it straight to that order. Well, that's cool. a notification idea. to the customer, you know, when are you available to do that for us? Oh, I would love to do that. <laughs> Sounds fun. Sounds very fun. Yeah, I um, well, we can talk about this in a second. I want to hear more about the Haas. So, you okay, so working on the fixture plates. Yeah. So when we got our Axes machine, we did all the fixturing, prototyped it with MDF. Right. Like MDF, it's a miracle material. <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Particularly um, if you get the nice stuff, like the Home Depot stuff is like not great, but if you go to like a you know a proper Lombard, get like the stuff they use for cabinet making, like mm-hmm. that shit's pretty good. Now you're gonna like this, but. I feel mm. a bit hosed, but I did buy MDF the, from McMaster. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, you, okay. You've bought toilet paper from McMaster before, so you can't bust my chops. Have but I? I don't. You did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It sounds like something I would yeah, do. Yeah, for sure. What, a, a friend and I had a, a challenge to try and th- find something that was edible on McMaster. <laughs> Like actual food, and they have to be find some it. oil or something. That's... No, we did find it. You can buy like goldfish or something. No, on there. oh, yeah. I bet you they have too. Like places like industrial supply companies like Granger or Uline have like like thirst quenchers or some shit. Goldfish. Right. Here you go. I found it. Swedish fish. Shut Snacks up. cannot be sold to Canada due to import regulations. So you can't eat it. I can't eat it. But if if you're in the states, that you can 100 percent buy thirty four bucks for twenty four. <laughs> wow they know how to get you cannot be sold to canada exclusively do they ship to anywhere other than canada and the united states i don't believe so wow that's tragic so wait you bought mdf from uh, yeah master yeah how how was that you know what i mean i, I haven't checked how much the shipping was because i never tell you but i was getting sheet material already right um of the exact same size. So, and, so and everything's phenolic, closed here and then right you now. Bought, exactly. We bought right, phenolic. Right. But we can't, I can't go to Home Depot. Home Depot is completely backed up. Um, so, huh? Eh. Right. right. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we bought, we bought one inch thick black phenolic. Oh, um, fancy. And Garolite, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get the deets on it. Got it right here. Um, economical Garolite XX and did it was it flat when you got it uh it's got a curve to it a little bit of a curve to it yeah Um, I bought some off there a while ago um thinking that oh maybe it'd be good material for knife handles and every sheet that I got came with like a half inch bow in it this is in like a one foot by one foot sheet oh no (laughs) yeah it was this is we got 24 by 36 and it's got a subtle arc right um, but once you bolt it down, it'll be flat. Yeah, exactly. And we're we're doing quite a lot of big, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, thirteen or half inch thirteen. Right. Is that, is that it? Yeah. Half thirteen. Half yeah. thirteen. Bolts. Um, right. So you guys are going to use the MDF to make your prototype fixtures, and then no, once... we're we're not actually. We're oh, we're going to use the MDF to just um, put down to, and then put the phenolic on top to surface it. Uh, on the Axes machine. Oh, okay. So you're not wait. You're not making your fixtures in the. We are. We're, we're just we're just doing a rough surfacing for one side, and then mm. um, we're just really familiar with that machine. We're we're nervous. Baby steps. Right. Um, 
and um we've got like junky tools um that we can do some rough leveling because so we're making we're, this is going to be a, a vacuum uh fixture plate oh okay so we're doing a quarter inch bottom uh and then we're going to have the vacuum in the the one inch top part they're going to it's going to be sandwiched between right the vacuum portion is going to be sandwiched in there um, right, so you'll have you'll have um, like a vacuum spreader underneath yes. that lets the vacuum get to all the parts of the plate, and then you'll drill through from the top plate. Yeah, and all that's going right. to be done on the Haas, all the vacuum pod uh, machining. Right. Uh, so the other thing we we got is a Saunders Machine Works fixture plate. Oh, you bought one of we those. We did. Okay, cool. Yeah. Do you like it? It's beautiful. Nice. I'm quite impressed with it. So. I like, you know, I, I, I looked at them. I was like, these are nice. Like, they're cool. I don't really see what the use for us is um, right. because we're just, we're basically going to be filling out that entire surface with our fixture, right. our vacuum fixture. So we're kind of making our own fixture plate. Right. Um, but with our machine table, we've got the T-slots and we're using, we're, we're making our fixture out of uh, phenolic. So right. you can only, we would have a significant portion. It's, and we're going to be spanning the whole 20th width, 20 inch width of the uh, Y travel. Right. And the table's only 18. And then inside that, maybe six inches in on either side of the table, you've got your T-slot. So there's a lot of unsupported material. Gotcha. If we gotcha. were machining the, our fixture plates out of aluminum, which we maybe we, we plan to do down the line, um, but we're familiar with, with this material and it works yep. really we like it um when we're not machinists really we're not we're not you know comfortable phenolic yeah. phenolic is like uh in between wood and aluminum exactly you know yeah yeah, yeah. Anyways, i'm sure it's good enough honestly. yeah like, yeah um so the the we we looked into buying aluminum to make right. our own and his it's like 1200 bucks it's fully machined it's got like 900 holes in it Right, uh, that are that have a um, tight tolerance bore, and then threaded underneath. Right, and so, so you can it, use um, like shoulder bolts exactly in any any location. Right, yeah. So it it allows us to to clamp down to to bolt down our fixture plate to this fixture plate, and they it's twenty by thirty six. It's it's bigger than the table. It's the the, the Haas table. Mm. Right. So okay. it was in, in to buy aluminum that size was not that much cheaper. <laughs> and he's right. done it and it's anodized black and it's very pretty. Yeah. So nice. it was, it was, we were at a certain point we were just like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sweet, man. And it shipped That's... like right away. It came very well packaged. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it made our lives easier so far. Well, I mean, John Saunders has been, I've seen a lot of his videos, you know, he's the NYC CNC has been around for a long time, mm -hmm. very much like talking the talk. They always looked like they were, you know, on top of what they were doing. So it's, it's very cool to see that they're, you know, walking the walk as well. But yeah, it gave, it did give me make, you know? confidence in his, in, in that brand because he's so outspoken and yeah. they did deliver. I will say it was, it was a nice experience. I didn't actually speak to anybody there. Um, right, just place the order. I just place the order and it, and it came really fast. Right. So, nice. Yeah, and it's very, it's very nice piece of, of uh, aluminum. Very cool. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy how fast tooling costs and stuff add up for a new machine. Eh? Oh man, yeah, it's wild. <laughs> We've been buying tooling from Mar Mari Tool, and also yep. a great experience. Yeah, uh, but we're just buying piece one piece at a time. You know, I pictured myself just being like, okay, because when you know when you're budgeting and stuff, you mm -hmm. you go, this is how much it is for thirty tool holders, thirty collets, thirty tools, or whatever. Right. Um, and I just. It's a lot of upfront money, cash flow wise. Mm -hmm. So we've yeah. just been picking away at it one piece at a time. Or, I mean, like six pieces at a time. Or So I did actually order from Mario Tool, I bit the bullet and bought their um, tool length and diameter probe. Oh, the, the tool calibration. Yeah. Tool probe calibration tool. Yeah. Yes. Uh, for setting the Renishaw probe, because we're going to have to move it. Right. Um, and that's something you should do. Um, I think periodically, periodically. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of just nice. Like I, it's again, one of those things is like, I mean, DIYing, it's not even that DIY. You just put a, um, a, like a plug gauge, plug or, a gauge. Dial pin or something. Yeah, yeah. In a tool holder. Uh, but this is nice. It's like got the tool, the, the, um, tolerances or the, the, um, length and diameter marked out on it. And sometimes it's just nice to have the right tool. It's just nice. It's not that you're not saving that much money, really. Yeah. It was 240 bucks versus a uh, tool holder, call it, and uh, plug gauge was like right. going to be, I don't know, 180 bucks. Well, one thing so if you're ordering from Maritool a bunch, um, I forgot to tell you this previously that they are introducing FedEx shipping for Canada. Mm. So if you put in your order notes, like, please uh, ship with FedEx. Um, then they will ship with FedEx. And for me, it worked out like just a tiny bit more expensive than UPS, but like the uh, duties and stuff when it came across the border was way less. Oh, okay. Interesting. I haven't UPS standard. They charge you like brokerage fees out the ass. I haven't, I didn't see a brokerage fee and I have an account with them. So they probably just dinged me on my account. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, whereas I, I don't have an account with them purely because I really dislike them. And they're always <laughs> like, you could create an account. And I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to use you guys. Do you, how do you ship your product? Um, I sh no, DHL. Ah, so we, we just made the switch to DHL. Yeah. So I used to ship everything with Canada Post. But then when COVID hit, um, you know, the, yeah. the U.S. postal system and the Canadian postal system was so overrun um that things got really slow and then to other countries like so i uh shipped i think it was to the ukraine i shipped cool. a knife for a customer to the ukraine but it took seven months to get there <gasps> and like canada post told me they'd lost it and then like five months later it showed up at the at the guy's you're kidding place. what had you done in the meantime Anything? i refunded him his money you know oh. like what i can't like hang on to his money for that whole time right so yeah, I've been really impressed with DHL so far. I haven't had a single thing go missing. Um, like shipping to the US, sometimes it's next day. You know, like they say it's like three days, but mm -hmm. like sometimes it shows up like the day after, which wow. is crazy. We haven't had that experience. We also haven't had a bad experience yet. Right. Uh, I mean, eventually you will for, with any shipping company. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. That's really fast. I mean, it's not that fast for us. Um, well, it varies. It so like more recently, it's been more like four to five days. Um, I think they're just getting slammed. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. And that's, then it depends where too. You know, right. like if you shipped to New York, then obviously it's just geographically closer. Yeah. 
What's interesting about DHL too is the fix the, the rate for the U.S. is fixed. So whether you're shipping to at least this is for us shipping to the U.S. Mm. Uh, shipping to New York from Toronto, which is quite close, or to or like California, Texas. right? It's the same price. It's not for me, but it's pretty close. You know, it's like a couple of dollars difference, right. like thirty thirty three versus thirty five or something. You know, it's, um, it's not that bad. But we we made the switch because um, FedEx was super expensive. Mm-hmm. UPS was super slow, and they were charging our customers a brokerage fee. Yeah, which we used to fees. cover. Oof, um, because we had a broker. So we had a commercial broker. Right. It was fifteen dollars for us. It was fi- oh, right. fifty bucks for the customer. Yeah. Yeah, so right. we were covering it, and then um, uh, we stopped doing that because we were having in the U.S. for U.S. customers, we were having having to collect their SSN number, the social mm. brokerage needs social for anything over valued over twenty five hundred bucks, right? Uh, or the customs does. Um, so that was uncomfortable. And right. so we started letting them broker it themselves or with UPS and it was 50 bucks. And then you add that to the standard shipping rate, the average shipping rate with UPS. And it was the same price as DHL, but DHL is air typically faster and they don't do any, they don't ask for a, a SIN number and brokerage is included. Right. So yeah. it was win-win. <clears throat> yeah. It's amazing. Like it's amazing to me how much, of pain in the ass, every aspect of running a business is. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, you just use a shipping service and it just works fine. No. Like every single thing from like sourcing, cutting tools to shipping to, you know, like what kind of tape are you going to use? What kind of labels are you going to use to like print on your boxes? Like every single part of running a business is a pain in the ass. It's so it's... true. I have like 30 tabs open, not literally, but one is a. Uh, a, a label printer. One is your Kanban. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's uh, if I should be talking about that, but one is Uline. <laughs> um, right. One is a template for doing uh, inventory. Like nothing simple. Yeah, nothing. Nothing is simple. It's it's crazy. Um, yeah, and I was doing doing my books like my quarterly kind of update this this week, and I was just like. Oh, God damn, I'm not making anywhere near enough money for all the work that I'm doing. Yeah. I think I'm making like 16 bucks an hour at the moment. It's just like brutal. That's pretty good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, the problem is that like, you know, if you were working at like McDonald's or something, then like 16 bucks an hour is pretty good. But like 16 bucks an hour in a business, all it takes is like one machine to break down and it wipes out your income for like a month or more. Yeah. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but. (laughs) Well, you work like you know, an 80 hour work week or something like that. And you, yeah, it's a bit brutal. You, you, uh, you eat what you kill. Yes. It's a exactly. gross way to say it actually. I said it out loud, but <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm excited for the kitchen knife coming up because it's really going to expand, um, my market. Mm-hmm. You know? That is super cool. And, uh, and expand your market in a, I would uh, guess a, a really different, uh, place. Yeah, like uh, a, a completely different market, rather different customers, different. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited about it, and I'm also just super excited because, like, you know, I've got prototype kitchen knives in my kitchen, but I don't have like the real one yet because mm. I haven't made the real one. Yet. Yeah, you know, I just I want to get it happening. I'm excited for that too. That's gonna be really cool. Yeah. Man. Um, are you going to do um like 
late night commercial demos where you slice a pineapple in half in midair? A shoe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You saw a shoe in half. <laughs> I actually had a conversation with a friend the other day. He was like, oh, man, I'm so looking forward to your knife. I'm so sick of cutting my tomatoes up with my hands. Hmm? He's been like karate chopping them, you know? Oh, of course. <laughs> and I think that's probably going to become the like, you know, the late night infomercial. He's he has volunteered to karate chop some tomatoes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that guy sounds uh, <laughs> out of touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unhinged before the Stone Age. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited, dude, because I just saw just before we started recording that SpaceX finally got their latest Starship prototype to fly. I don't know if you saw this because it I just happened. I did not. So I, Starship I, I, SN15. I didn't get the, the, the tweet alert. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I didn't <laughs> use the tweeter. Um, but yeah, Starship SN15 went up and it did its 10 kilometer test flight and came back down and landed under its own power right on target and didn't explode at all. Wow, it looks cool. It's super, super cool, man. I yeah, mean, it looks like a spaceship. But it, <laughs> but it looks like what you imagined a spaceship looked like as a kid. Yeah, her. okay. It looks like the future. It looks like a an older generation's futuristic vision mm. of a spaceship. Retro futuristic. Yes, it's yeah. kind of bare bones. I will say. Yeah, I mean, it's still a prototype, right? Like they they're literally like flying these things. So like the one that they flew today is you know basically like stainless steel. Yeah. Everywhere, no no paint, no nothing. It's got a small patch of heat shield tiles on the belly just because they're like testing out how to attach them. Then that's it. Wow. Because there's like a 50-50 chance that it might blow up. So like, why are they going to paint it? You know? <laughs> so tell, tell me how this thing uh, differs from a normal one. It's reusable? Fully, yeah. So the goal with Starship is that it's going to be fully reusable. So like first stage, second stage, everything is reusable um and when they say reusable they mean that like you land it you you know check it really quick you know like a couple of hours to make sure it's not damaged fuel it it up and fly it again yeah yeah elon says that he wants like a 24-hour turnaround from like landing to having that same starship doing another mission what is their plan like what what are these spaceships flying into space so frequently for Delivering um, satellites? Missions to Mars, missions to the moon. Um, yeah, delivering satellites. Um, like orbital manufacturing could become a thing if it's cheap enough, right? What? Like there are types of crystals and stuff that you can only grow in microgravity. Um, so, you know, like maybe specialist products will start getting manufactured in orbit. Um, and like things like that are only economical if you can, you know, launch and land cargo cheaply mm-hmm. um, and right now you can't but in the in the last three weeks space uh, spacex has had three launches like their their speed of well, three launches plus the sn15 test launch wow. like their speed of launch is insane these days um you know so in the last so th- spacex have a project called starlink which is a um an orbital constellation of satellites that will provide internet service to the whole world. Right. Mark right. has Starlink at his house. Oh, your, your CNC guy has Starlink? That's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, so like, you know, it, it's already um, providing service to people, but the number of satellites in orbit is only like less than a third of what it's supposed to be in the end. 
but they've got 1500 satellites in orbit already and they're going to have another 3000 in uh, in orbit by the time the constellation's finished but that 1500 satellites like i think they launched most of that in the last year wow you know like they're, they're launching like 60 satellites in a single launch but like it is crazy they've done 25 launches already you know in the last i think it's like the last year year and a half um to to get this thing operational you know so yeah it's it's i don't know i like i think it's one of those things where like we really don't know exactly what's going to come out of it until you know the average business realizes that they can like put stuff in space like right god you know who knows what they're going to come up with um the commute though am i right (laughs) (laughs) i'd take it man it sounds like fun (laughs) No, not for me. <laughs> not, not for Nick, because he's no. a big wuss. No. Yeah. Then, you know, a little bit closer to home. So I, I Nick and I share links with each other throughout the week as we, you know, see exciting stuff. And um, one of the things that really blew my mind this week was from Disney, of all people. Um, it's actually not super recent. It's like from a couple of years ago. And That's um, from a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah, so Disney World in Japan um, made, were making, like, a Beauty and the Beast ride. And for the ride, they have these, like, animatronics, these, like, robots that act as, like, Belle or as the horse or, you know, at all these characters out of Beauty and the Beast. And Sounds like we got a looks... Beauty and the Beast fan on our hands. Oh, my, my girlfriend's a, a Disney maniac. So, oh, nice. Yeah, you know, I have to know. <laughs> Um, but these things, like I'm, sh- you saw the video, right? They like they look like an animation brought to life. Yeah, no, it really it, does. It looks crazy how smooth they are and stuff. If you picture like in what you would, what I picture in animatronics, like the jaw is just like it looks Flapping like. Yeah, exactly. Wind. Yeah, and these yeah. like they're they're the skin is like yeah, stretching. it looks like someone oh, wearing like... like a like a cartoon suit. Yeah, it's and a, then got a real Buffalo around. Bill vibe. Buffalo. <laughs> okay, uh, just a uh, yeah. I just thought it was so cool. Skin over top of right. Well, but then the, I don't know if you saw the bit of the video where they they so they show the inside of the animatronic arm, and this thing is just packed with like actuators and cables, and like it looks it looks like way more involved than like an industrial robot. Um. It's just super, super cool that something that that fancy is getting used for entertainment, I guess. <sighs> I'd be happy if they sent those things to space. Put those in orbit. <laughs> like, because you want like them cre- away from yeah, you? Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> I mean, uh, I, it's been ages since I've been to Chuck E. Cheese. But they have that whole mm. scene going on, don't they? Like the animatronics and... So, I've never been to a Chuck E. Cheese, but I've I've seen I've seen what you're talking about in movies and stuff. Right? Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of like the Griswold family vacation. Anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously yep. there's a market. Well, and I think the Chuck E. Cheese animatronics are very like creepy and rickety. You know, like they obviously look fake, but it's like a mannequin's come to life and it's trying to murder you or something. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the 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 Disney ones look like. Like you, you would expect to like walk around it and see that it's flat because it's like animated. It's like drawn, right? You know, like but it's it's in three dimensions somehow. It's just creepy. Yeah, it is cool. Well, okay. So if if you're creeped up by robots, uh, have you seen um, uh, 
the Boston Dynamics dance video. The most that recent. was more terrifying. <laughs> and then I don't know if you've seen. Um, so there are these robots called hexapods that are like spiders. So they have like a body and six legs. And I'll have to send you the video, but there's a guy that has one of these that he made himself and he programmed it. And this thing runs. No. <laughs> so it's like, it's like two feet across a giant black mechanical spider. And this thing runs like <laughs> full speed. It's, it's awesome. Wow. That's horrifying. Right. <laughs> I would I would love to have one of those and just take it for walks with me to and from work. <laughs> yeah, Along with your see, like little kids screaming running away down the street. With hilarious. your dog. <laughs> I don't think my dog would like that, man. She's literally scared of cardboard boxes that sit on the ground and don't move. <laughs> yeah. So well, this would certainly be not terrifying. fun for her. Terrifying, right? Yeah. Um so we got a couple of listener questions. Do you want to do some listener questions? Yes, yeah. So um, Made Lyle Style on Instagram asked, what is the most useless tool you own? <laughs> he says, for me, it's a tie between a scroll saw and Harbor Freight drill bits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, don't I, have I can Harbor only Freight, imagine. but... I heard a story once about someone buying a drill bit from uh, the dollar store. And then as they used it, it like unrolled. It like untwisted. <laughs> it like straightened out. That's great. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that doesn't sound very helpful. Well, we have, I think Princess Auto is, is probably the closest Canadian yeah. equivalent to Harbor Freight. But I, I'm not ashamed to admit that I have gotten some useful stuff from Princess Auto. Oh, yeah. If you need like an Arbor Press or something like that. Yeah. My shop crane. Shop I have crane. A, like an engine hoist. My ex shop uh, crane. Yes, you guys kept it in your shop for like two years. Very yeah. <laughs> graciously for me. <laughs> we borrowed it and then you borrowed floor space. Yes. And our you shop. Borrowed it for and two then years. I just never reclaimed it for like two years. Yeah. But I mean, that thing's done a lot of work for me. Like I've moved lathes, compressors, parts of my, my CNC mills. That's. You know. Yeah. I think if you're not looking for something that requires precision. Probably yeah. the right place. Anyway, to go. we're talking about useful tools right now. That's way off topic. What's I thought, the I most thought it was useless tool. Right. Oh, I see. Most useless. Tool. You, you go first. I need to think about this for a sec. <clears throat> you know what? I'm trying to think too because I feel like every useless tool that I have, I I toss it out or I give it away. Yeah. Or you. I'm like you like you hate using it, but you have a use for it. Mm -hmm. Like I have these real shit clamps, but I always <laughs> use them for like just random ass shit. Hmm. But I do have an answer, but you go first. No, I can't think of something. So yeah, okay. I think you need to go first. Tool cabinets. Oh, uh, hate them. What really? Hate them. Why? They're Why? just junk collectors. Mm. What? It's discrete storage, and discrete storage to for us equals mess, disaster, clutter, clutter. Right. Yeah, like we have, we have several of them, and I. Would bet that maybe there's three drawers out of like four entire cabinets that actually hold something that I like that I regularly use. Right, but are the other things in those cabinets like stuff that you know you need to use at some point, but you don't use every month? It's the kind of thing that you'd be like, I don't even know why. Why do I have a? I don't know. Um, 
hacksaw. I mean, that is a handy thing. That's like <laughs> that's a handy thing. <laughs> something random like that. But I, that doesn't need to be in a three hundred dollar tool chest. Right. You can hang that on the wall. Mm. Um, yeah, I have like um, Rubbermaid containers. I have like blue Rubbermaid containers. So if like I don't need something organized, then it just goes in a Rubbermaid container. Ah, other things that are similar. You know, we have a similar um, thing. We have old, old frog boxes. After we we had a shop flood years ago, mm, and we had to right. move the entire shop out, and we just loaded a bunch of stuff into frog boxes, which is like a rental box company, a bin. Okay. And we just like we bought we ended up buying a couple off them. We haven't just just haven't removed the stuff from them since that. <laughs> right. But right. this is what I'm talking about. This is discrete storage and it's like you should get rid of that stuff. The day you need it, go buy it. Right. Yeah, I mean, so I've I really like tool cabinets personally, but like I tend to organize the hell out of them. Yeah. Okay, you do like the the foam yeah, so I have some, like, 3D-printed dividers. I've got I some drawers that are, like, kind of just full of stuff rattling around. Yeah. But it's all the same stuff. You know, like, I have a drawer full of screwdrivers. You know, like, I know where my screwdrivers are because mm -hmm. they're all in that drawer. You know? um, but, yeah, for, like, the one that really bugs me is, like, I have, like, a thousand different air fittings. You know, push-to-connect right, yeah. fittings, quarter-inch MPT, one-eighth MPT. Like and they're all in a blue Rubbermaid container. Mm -hmm. And every time I need to find one little fitting, I have to pull out like fifty Ziploc bags and find the right one. Yeah, you know? um, that bugs the shit. You know, I I'm really the want same like way. A, a wall of bins. Or something, so we you know? we have a bin cabinet like a mm -hmm. from Uline. It's just got those red bins, and right. we bought it to organize parts for assembling guitars. Uh, right. But it was it just always became a bit of a mess because you're pulling them in and out and in and out so often. So right. I think that what we, I think what that would be good for is something like having, you've got NPT fitting, you've got like, so you say you have like a, one of those is reducers. One of those is, um, uh, quick connects, blah, 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 blah. Like, and you've right. got 25 bins like that, that would be cool. But for, uh, everyday use, I find something like that is uh, just gets just gets cluttered. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. I still can't think of what my most useless tool is. Honestly, like I just I don't know. Sorry, sorry, Lyle. I don't know. That was a useless answer, Aaron. Yeah, I know. Calling I'm you useless. Out. Terrible. Um, and we had another listener uh, on Instagram, Samurai Machine Tools. And he's actually getting a small business started making CNC mills. Um, and they look pretty pretty damn cool. I checked like, them out. They look very cool. Yeah, kind of like the size of a Tomac, but like way more serious. You know, BT30 spindle and yeah, it's um, like a full enclosure and everything. Yeah, it looks pretty legit. So yeah, if you're interested in a machine like that, I think he's getting set up to do another Kickstarter to try and get this off the ground. So go and check out uh, Samurai Machine Tools on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I just I like seeing small businesses, you know, young, young entrepreneurs, like new entrepreneurs getting into stuff, right? It's, it's exciting. Yes, we'll follow that. That'll be really neat. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we, I, I actually, we last week we said we were going to do the Aaron Reed's mean comments section. <laughs> And I didn't think that I was going to have any. And then like three douchebags made a comment about my lazy eye all in, within the course of like two days on YouTube. What kind of assholes? So I, have, 
I know, man. I know. I don't even really know if it's honestly, I don't think it's even constructive. It's not like they're even like taking apart my process or my knives or whatever. They're just being like, oh, you got a weird eye, bro. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> honestly, man, you'd be amazed how many of these comments I've gotten over the years. Like, probably thousands at this point. No way. Yeah, it's stupid, man. Like, probably two a week for the last six years. <laughs> you know? oh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's just stupid. You're beautiful just but the way you are, that, Aaron. Thanks, buddy. And as so many people on, on YouTube have pointed out, I can see two things at once. That sounds like an evolutionary advantage <laughs> to me. <laughs> but you can't. <laughs> no, I can't. But people have a hard time sneaking up on me because I've got a really broad peripheral vision. <laughs> so, you know. At least you're a sport Think, about it. Uh, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? Did you get any mean comments this week? Anyone? Well, you're not going to read them? You up? Ah, uh, Fuck these guys. Okay, yeah. Not even worth the time. <laughs> uh, I actually tried to look. Um, I haven't been posting this week a lot. So, uh, mm. have, you know, that's... Uh, this is a pro tip, Aaron. That's a key, good way to not get mean comments. <laughs> Just never <laughs> post. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, but I was. it made me think back to, like, when we first started, people just being like oh, that's super ugly or that's way too expensive. I wouldn't pay more than 1500 mm-hmm. bucks for that and shit like that. And it's like, I, I, it made me think of the, the reason behind the, this segment to encourage right. people who are building or making things to just ignore that shit because <laughs> yeah, it does get better. Well, and if you'd listened to those guys, you would have had like a, $1,500 guitar that... Yeah, that looked like know, a Telecaster. <laughs> right. And you'd never make any money off it, and you probably would have gone out of business by now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, keep yeah. at it. Or, you know... Ignore uh, the haters, yeah. as the kids would say. Or keep it coming, haters. <laughs> right. Well, so what? what's your what's your plan for this week? What are you going to be... What are you going to be up to this week? Um, I... I got to catch up on some, so I do all like the, the woodworking uh, portion of the guitar making. <laughs> Isn't that like all of it? Isn't that whole thing wood? <laughs> oh, right. As opposed to finishing. Yeah. Like, so well, Tim, so even like. Your brother Tim does finishing. Yeah. We've got some, we've got some, um, some people here that work with us. Uh, a growing team of skilled craftspeople. Um so somebody is like doing all the pre-finished sanding, so all the sanding the guitars and uh, getting them ready for finish. But right. I'm assembling the the parts and machining them. So right. that is what I really like doing. But also, before the guitars are assembled, I have to. I also make all the like parts, a bunch of the parts, like pick guard, pickup rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do mm-hmm. the routes for the pick. The, the pickups and electronics and stuff like that. And right. so always like once a month or t- twice a month, Tim's like, I need you to do post finish routes and plastics. And it just like completely screws derails up. My, yeah. It derails my, my happy place, which is the woodworking portion. Mm. Uh, so I have a bunch of that stuff to do. So th- I have a similar thing actually, which is sheets. So for my knives, I make um, thermoformed plastic sheets out of this material called Kydex. And I tend to do it like in a big batch because mm. I kind of hate doing it. <laughs> so 
every like two months, I'll just spend a day making like 60 sheets or something. Right. Um, and one thing that I always think about is like, it would be way easier to like get this to a point where you can just do it in line, like on demand. You know, have you thought about That's trying to do that with like pick guards? How we do it. We do it on demand. But you're doing, you're talking about doing like a bunch of pick guards at once for, no. for Tim as he requests it, right? Are no, you just doing one? For a few for whatever guitars need to be to go at the door or get assembled. Right. So right. maybe like two or three guitars at a time. Um, so how come it derails you just because you're having to like set up different fixtures or different It's another tool or... set. And then uh, it's just everything takes time, you yeah. know? And um, the this is an annoying little thing, but we use a bunch of different little plastic, like t types of plastics for pick guards, let's say. And they're all very, yeah, they're right. all different thicknesses. Well, and you use some interesting stuff too, like cellulose and so on that most people aren't using, right? Yeah, and stuff. so like that's a good example. Um, the cellulose acetate pick guard, which is like, what like tortoise shell, like what sun sunglasses or glass glasses frames would be made out right. of. We get that, and it's in a really rough state. The sheets of it, and we have mm. to sand it and polish it, just like you would a, a, a finish. A lack oh of really? Like you have to sand the, yeah. the face and the it's back of the sheet. It's Jeez. rough. It's like uh, it's like saw cut. Uh, oh, wow. And so we are sanding it from two twenty up to two thousand and polishing it, and wow. it looks beautiful. But because of that, you get a variance in thickness, and we're we're <laughs> countersinking for screws. So I'm having to stand there it, right? and do in chamfering. I have to stand there and do offsets for mm. every different material or for like a pick guard, those three holes that screw the pick guard to the body that are, have countersinks could all be different offsets. Oof. So is that one of those times where like maybe going back to a manual process would be like less painful? Could you just like drill the holes and then have like a piloted countersink with could. a depth stop? That's not a bad like idea. Do it on the drill. We've drill never done that. So I'd actually, I'm not even familiar with what that tool looks like like and how good a finish it would leave or if it would mar the surface i have no idea so it may be worth looking into yeah yeah this is one of the things that i always find really interesting about talking to people about the process is that like you know so when when mike was coming on board with me to to work at my last shop making knives you know he would ask questions because he just didn't know the process and he didn't know the answer and sometimes answering that question i'd be like wait, why am I doing it this way? <laughs> you know, like this is, this is dumb. Why am I, you know, I'm not saying that your thing is dumb, but like sometimes we just do dumb stuff yeah. because we're I mean, just it, no, it in the habit of doing it. It kind of is because yeah, you just, it's the way you know how to do it and in, in, it's the status quo for you. Right. Sticking with it is easier than solving the problem sometimes. Yeah, um, right. So you're going to get super fancy with that on the Haas and like oh, use the probe and yes, hundred percent. See, that's my, that's my solve. Right. Like, like right. I want to, yeah, probe the material, you know, like, so the, the acetate thing, that also is a process problem. Like we could be more mm. considerate about thicknessing them. And we're talking like, maybe there'd be a variance of five or 10 path, which can do a lot. To yeah, but it's side. enough. It's enough. Yeah. Um, so we could dial that in. Um, and what about countersinking a little bit below the surface deliberately so that your screw is like slightly lower than flush yeah yeah and to take up the variance 
and often that is the case anyways because you're kind of guessing on these on the countersink offset so that might be a a good thing to do still i'm you know the difference in thickness between that and a a multiply black pickguard or Mm. a batch of multiply versus like an old batch versus a new batch you know this stuff is just laminated together It, it the tolerance is like it's pretty wide it's like 20 thou yeah yeah uh, so I'm just always having to dial in the thaw sets for it. Right. So probing on the new Haas mm-hmm. is going to fix all of that, I guess, right? I hope so. I mean, we're still probably a ways out from, from that's not the, we actually were talking about this. I was going to say that's not the main focus of what we're going planning to do with the Haas in the immediate future. Like we want to get wood moved over to there. Right. But right. this, we do need to tackle our bottlenecks and this is definitely a bottleneck for us. So it might right. even be a better thing to move onto the hoss bef- than, you know, doing necks. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, um, you know, so talking to Mike about, uh, so Mike and I uh, continue to be really close friends. We have a good relationship where we get to talk about, you know, the business stuff that, that bugs us. And one of the things we were talking about a little while ago is just like the difference between like low value, boring work and high value, boring work. <laughs> like, you know, like shaping a neck by hand or something like, you know, it's not the most exciting job, I'm sure. But like, it's such a critical thing to the feel of the guitar that it totally makes sense to do it. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, fucking around for like half an hour setting offsets to make sure that like a little countersink is, is <laughs> happening. Like, yeah, it's like low value boring. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, those things are like way more of a bottleneck Um. They're they're a bottleneck like emotionally and mentally as much as they are yeah. physically. You know, I don't want to do them because they're stupid jobs. Exactly. Yeah. What's the stupidest job you do? Making belt loops. Mm. So the the belt loops for my sheaves are made from like a really stiff um, nylon webbing, and so I have to like cut it with a knife to like lengths, and then fold it in half and hammer it to like set the the fold. Uh huh. And then clamp the two halves together and drill holes with like a special tool that I had to make just for drilling. Cause you can't like yeah. use a drill bit on How a web. Drill through that. So I actually made like a hollow knife. So it's like a circular, mm. um, it's actually made out of a drill blank. It's a circular knife that has cool. a hollow core. Um, and so you put like it a in punch a drill that spins. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they do make punches. They make, I think they call like sail punches that you can use on webbing, mm-hmm. but they have a taper on the outside of the punch, which right. means you can't really use them in, um, in like a drill guide. Right. You're using a brushing. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so then... this one has uh, very thin walls. The walls are only oh. like 15,000 thick. And then it has a little tiny taper on the inside and the material gets forced through it. Um, so I drill the holes and then I have to heat seal it all. Um, and it just seems like a stupid, stupid waste of time, you know. Like it's yeah, because it's, it's low value, boring product. Really, it's important. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I know there's so and much that's one of those like things that. that like so much stuff. Like I would love to solve that with a laser cutter. Yeah. So like CO two lasers cut nylon webbing so nicely. And do they leave it like uh, melted? Well, they they heat, like heat seal the edges. Yeah, yeah, heat seal. Right. That's yeah. So it's two in one. Two birds exactly. stoned at once. And it would be like perfect every time, you know. So like but yeah, you know, as I said before, like right now I'm you know, I'm not my cash flow isn't 
great in the business. So like investing into, um, you know, better machinery is not really the right idea right now. Right. So yeah, that's why I'm working on the kitchen knife stuff. Yeah. Well, that'll be sweet. You, you don't need to make a belt loop for a kitchen knife. <laughs> well, not unless I really want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for the kitchen knife in terms of packaging and stuff. You know, yeah. another thing that's that's a that sounds a, like a fun like another to thing solve. that you have to work out. But yeah, yeah. It, it, in that case, it's fun because it's a new thing. It's something I'm excited to to finish. You know, so yes. So I asked what you were doing this week, and you said you're going to be doing. Uh, Pick cards, yes. Some pick random cards, stuff. Some post finish routing. So like, mm -hmm. I just did one. I did a, a guitar for a local customer that's uh, um, got a pair of P nineties, which is a type of pickup, as you know. Nice. And um, yeah. So we do I say that nice, but I hate P nineties. <laughs> not hot enough for me. You yes, I, you I like, like a nice I like maximum kill. <laughs> yeah, uh, you like it to sound <laughs> horrible, right out of the gate. <laughs> exactly. What are you, like yeah. uh, blackouts? That's your favorite. Pick. Yeah, oh yeah. So any, anybody that's a guitar person will. I, I have a <laughs> pair of Seymour Duncan blackout active pickups in in my personal guitar. <laughs> great, great pickups. Um, so you guys aren't going to make me a guitar with with Seymour Duncan blackouts in it? Is that what you're saying? You can swap them out. <laughs> Damn it. No, you, I'll give you the full custom Damn experience, Aaron. Sweet. Well, it sounds like I mean, yeah, that's that's high value, boring work right there. It is. You're not super excited done. about it, but it's important. Yeah. Um, it gets yeah exactly. It gets the guitar done. Well, I don't think my week's going to be. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be doing production work for the rest of the week. Right. How do you um, break that up? So Wednesday at. Or is the last day of prototyping, or was Wednesday the first day of production? Wednesday is like the first day of production. Right. Um, so you get two days to prototype or do whatever. Yeah, you want. yeah, that's a pretty cool way to do it. Yeah, I've been trying to adopt more structure in the business because otherwise, I just tend to like work all the time. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like now I'm not allowed to work Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Um. That's good. Because there's just been like so many years where it's just been like you know, ten, twelve hours a day seven days a week right so I'm, I'm trying to um keep my productivity up while reducing the amount of like physical and mental stress that i'm you know going through in order to to get there right um so and like to be clear like I, you know i've said a few times this episode that like you know my my personal take-home salary isn't that great at the moment but i'm i'm you know, not having to work like insane hours at the moment which it is, is a nice trade-off Yes. So I just, I need to like iron out the balance a bit, obviously, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where things are going. I think, I think there's always a, a path to these things, you know, totally a slow cycle. Yeah. So, so yeah, just rest of the week is, um, making knives. Nice. Well, nice. that's what you're in it for. Exactly. Yeah. Things are going pretty smooth these days too, which is, it's just really nice. You know, like I don't, I, I don't never have like broken tools. I never have. I very, very rarely have like a scrapped blade or a blade that I can't use. Really? Th things are pretty smooth. Unless yeah. it's been DLC coded wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to redo it. Well, I mean, even then, they're very rarely scrap. Usually they just get recoded. Oh, good. And in terms of like the machining process and the hand finishing process, like my scrap rate is approaching zero. Wow. Um, 
Like I very, very rarely, like maybe once every couple of months, we'll have like one blade that needs some extra work or something. Like that's about it. Do you ever find you have like one knife that's just like is difficult? Uh, very occasionally, very occasionally. Like you know, sometimes I'll get a, a bit of steel that's been ground a little thin uh, or a little thick, you know, and then it, it doesn't quite machine the way it's supposed to. But like over time, I've kind of built strategies into my machining process to mitigate those issues so it tends to be much less of a problem these days than it used to be so if it's too thin or too thick it's it doesn't really matter because yeah basically I've, I've built like a machining allowance in right. where so like at the ricasso which is the flat bit of the um flat bit in between the handle and the blade i'm actually machining that section of the steel now too so that the bevel always lines up with the ricasso, even right. if the actual thickness of the steel varies a bit. And then the bevel is always the same thickness because I'm machining it all, you know, both sides. So, yeah, these days, like, things are pretty smooth, which is nice. Um, but that probably means that I'm not doing enough development work. <laughs> you know, if things are too smooth, you're not going fast enough, right? So you don't want it to be too easy. Well, yeah, we'll We'll see. <laughs> No, I know what you mean. It's like there's room for improvement if uh, if you're not pushing yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So I, over the next little while, I'm going to be pushing with the kitchen knife and and so on. So yeah, it's going to be exciting times. Yeah, that's great. And um, hopefully soon, we all have our vaccines. And because I want to come check out your shop, and I want you to come hug. Uh, our hoss hug, hug as you promised to do and then we could record at, i mean we're just up the street from each other we could just record episodes in person that'd be fun be great yeah be yeah fun. over maybe over dinner a uh, nice uh <laughs> steak and a beer Perfect. yeah nice sounds good well on that note yeah i i will look forward to that and uh, i'm also going to look forward to talking to everyone again next week and talking to you again next week Nick. likewise buddy i think that's a show so we will speak to everyone next week. If you guys have questions for us, uh, shoot us a DM or an email. Um, it's uh, xyz.cnc on Instagram, or you can shoot me an email at aaron at goffcustom.com. Uh, don't email Nick. He'll be rude to you, so don't do that. Mm-hmm. Not um, customer service uh, for uh, this podcast is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, hope you guys all have a great week, and we will see you again soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.